welcome to another edition of uh, the Church Revitalization Workshop. Um, here, uh, as we kind of finish up heading into General Assembly this year, we'll do one of these, obviously, here in March. We'll do one in April, and then we'll do one in May. So we've got a couple more of these left, and uh, we're going to be focusing today uh, and next month especially on um, the revitalization of the congregation. So we've talked so far about the revitalization of the pastor. For those of you who joined um, and have been here all along, you remember that last fall. Then the last few months, we've been talking about the revitalization of the session. Um, and today we're going to turn our attention to the revitalization of the congregation. And specifically, we're going to talk about um, mission uh, and evangelism as an engine for um, revitalization. And so uh, that's going to be kind of the, the, the broad topic that we'll be talking about today and how you can utilize mission um, to help bring revitalization uh, to your congregation. Um, that's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a ton of ideas that you guys have. And hopefully in our breakout sessions, you guys will get a chance to kind of share that. Some things that your churches are doing, things that you've seen that have really worked out for you, other things that maybe haven't worked so well. Ask your questions, all of those kinds of things. Again, we want to be uh, those breakout sessions really to serve you guys. Um, as we kind of dive into that, um, and this, this idea of mission, again, as an engine for revitalization, sort of an outward look, one of the first things to really discuss is um, the community that we live in and the community that your churches are planted in. Everybody's church, everybody's community is different, of course. Um, even, even among the facilitators, that's part of like, part of the deal. I mean, Bryn is uh, on the Bahamas. Uh, John is down in the deep south. I'm out west uh, in the suburbs. Mike is out here in the west as well, but he's in, more in the city. And so all of us come from different contexts. All of us have, uh, as you know, different sized congregations trying to reach the contexts in which uh, we are planted. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's not going to be a one size fits all approach in this. Uh, every, every congregation has to really think through how they are called to uniquely reach uh, their community. But in order to do that well, you got to know your community. And so, um, Bryn, why don't we get you, why don't you start us off by describing a little bit of the community around the Kirk there and just uh, maybe give us like five, five minutes or so on uh, what you guys are doing to reach your community, but um, maybe start just by telling us about your community and who lives around you, who's within your one, three, five mile radius, that kind of thing. Sure. Thanks, Doug. And, and thank you for not calling upon me a minute sooner because I'm in a downtown church. And while I was muted, uh, a whole bunch of uh, police cars and a fire truck and horns were honking. It was really wild. And that happens about every 30 minutes or so. Uh, we are a downtown church uh, in our 211th year as a congregation. Wow. And most of the people commute I mean, we're a 22 by six mile island, so we don't really have suburbs, uh, but most people drive in from either Cable Beach to the west uh, or Eastern Road to the east. So nobody really lives near the church because we're smack in the middle of downtown. But if you went south a mile or two, we do border the poorest community in the country. It's it's the most impoverished socioeconomically. It's mm -hmm. the highest crime. Um, the number of people who get shot just a couple miles down the road uh, is more, it'd be unsettling if I actually knew the statistics. Uh, so I don't track that closely. Um, many among those uh, to the south of us uh, have Haitian heritage. And, and so for many of them, Creole is their first language and English is a second language and, and it tends to be the younger ones speak perfect English, but it's the older folks who maybe don't have uh, much English. Uh, I know from our discipleship groups and from our Sunday school teachers that we have a high level of illiteracy uh, in that community. So a lot of the people we reach uh, can't read uh, or have great difficulty reading. And so I've never seen a community like this. I don't think in Canada where I'm from, there is a parallel experience to what I see here. Um, I've been here 11 years. I'm still getting to know new things about this community, uh, but, but that would be the, the main demographic. Um, I'll, I'll only say that because we're 211 years old, we began as a church full of Scottish people 200 years ago. 
Uh, but now in 2021, um, we are, I'd say probably half our congregation, uh, at least by way of attendance, lives in this impoverished community to the south. So a dramatic change of our att weekly attendance demographic over the last 10 years. Wow, wow. Thanks, Bren. Um, Bryn, can you, uh, how has that been, how has that been received in your congregation, that kind of dramatic shift? Um, it, I think it's been polar in the sense that uh, most people think it's amazing that we, we've made an effort to reach our neighborhood and have had success in doing so, but I, I'd be, it would be disingenuous of me to say that it was 100% well-received. Uh, I'm ashamed to say I know families who have begun keeping their children out of Sunday school uh, because they don't want their children mixing with, with the demographic that I just described to you. So uh, it's not been without some painful moments and conversations, uh, but our leadership is 100% on board with the vision, and but we do have some growing pains or recalibration pains um, as we deal with families who had different expectations for our ministry. Right, right. Thanks for sharing that, Bryn. Uh, John, what about you? Can you share a little bit about Covenant and just kind of the community that you're planted in there down Louisiana in Monroe? Uh, you're going to need to unmute yourself there, John. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Covenant is um, a, a about a 65-year-old con, uh, congregation um, that sits in a, a post-World War II uh, residential area. Um, it was built up, you know, probably, you know, around the early, late 40s, early 50s. Residential neighborhood, basically middle class. So we're right in the neighborhood with an elementary school, a Methodist church, a Jewish synagogue, but we're all surrounded by uh, residential homes. Hmm. So it, it's, it's, it's a neighborhood church is uh, what it is. And, and that's how it has primarily functioned um, up until, well, really through its renewal as an EPC congregation, because now we have members, uh, we, Monroe, Louisiana is a, a, a twin city. We have a twin city, a a, a separate municipality across the Washita River, and that's called Capital W West Monroe. That's a separate um, uh, municipality. And, uh, you know, there's always been rivalry and all this kind of stuff, and I won't go all that background, but we have now a lot of folks, a uh, goodly number of people who come from West Capital W, West Monroe, across mm -hmm. the river, and are now very much a part of our congregation, very much a part of our church leadership, uh, represented on the session, et cetera. Uh, uh, Monroe is the parish seat of Washita Parish. That's a Louisiana word for county. Mm -hmm. And um, our county, our parish, sorry, is about 150,000. Uh, it's 65% white and 34% African-American and 1% otherwise. That's the parish. Monroe, the city of Monroe in which we sit is um, of that 150,000, it is about 46,000, the mm. city. And the city of Monroe is 62% African-American and 33% white and 5% other. Monroe is, um, if you want to put it in positive terms, it's a stable community. It's always been a rather stable community. If you want to put a more negative light on it, it's a stagnant community. I mean, there's just, it's just, it is what it's been. And um, we've, we've struggled, the Mon Monroe has struggled to, um, you know, grow in terms of uh, attracting new corporations or industries, et cetera. I mean, it, this is basically about what it was when I was growing up here. Mm -hmm. um, our, um, so our neighborhood, this 
post-World War II, uh, now established residential neighborhood. Of course, it's middle class has historically been white. That That's changing a little bit. Um, and uh, we, we have a few uh, black families that have moved in. Um, and, you know, one of the realities here in, in our little city in North Louisiana is that the black middle class um, doesn't have, um, you know, a big footprint here. It, it, the, so there's some economic disparity and, and um, that's still a part of our culture here. We have had um, an African-American family as members of the congregation. He was a member, he was on the faculty at the local university, but have, uh, but that family has moved away. We've recently had another uh, African-American family, um, you know, professional level uh, visit us. So I don't mean to focus on the race issue per se, but that's part of the dynamic that we deal with here sure. in, yeah. um, in the deep South. Um, so, um, that's where we are right now. And so no, that's good. Yeah, for, that's for, good. for all of you out there who, who, you know, I can identify with you if you're in a stable or even declining population. Actually, I, I ran the statistics today and uh, we are experiencing a 1.1% decline mm. in um, our parish. We've had a 5% decrease since uh, 2010 or maybe that's the city of Monroe, a 5% decrease uh, since 2010. So we, we feel that, you know, and we don't see a lot of new young families uh, in our community, you know? So that's, that's part of where we are. I'm right there with you in a flat zone. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, and that's, like you said, there's probably several folks on this call that that describes their community as well, or maybe you can identify with what Brent has shared. Our church uh, is kind of on the flip side of John's uh, in that, um, well, first of all, we're, we're like, we're not even really out of our first generation of founders. We're, we're a little over 30 years old. And so we still have several of the founding charter members who are very active in our community. And, um, and you know, we're, we're in that sense, still a kind of a first generation church, if that makes sense. We're in Parker, Colorado, which is uh, in Douglas County. Douglas County is one of the fastest growing counties in the United States. It's also one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. And so, um, you know, since 2010, we've grown, our, our, our town, Parker, has grown by about 40%. And, um, and the, the average age in our town is very young. It's 33, 34, 35 years old. So we're talking a lot of young families. Um, predominantly white, almost 80, almost 90% white, um, about 5% Asian, and then about um, 3% or 4% uh, kind of other like Indians, mainly interna international families that have moved in that work in the tech industry. That's a big industry in our area. Um, and um, I mean, so I mean, we're, we're still in the midst, even with COVID of um, you can't find homes, you can't find the growth is still so fast that they can't build houses fast enough. They can't build, you know, but at the same time, um, out here in Denver, uh, it's very unchurched. And so the people moving in are not necessarily looking for a church home. Um, so you, you, don't, you don't necessarily as a church keep pace with the demographic growth like you might have used to say 30, 40, 50 years ago uh, in a community where you could count on, yeah, like we'll grow, like as the community grows, we'll grow right along with it. That's not, that is not the case out here. Most of the folks that move in are not looking for a church. They're not Christian. Um, you know, they're coming from kind of all over the world on some level and, and uh, there's challenges associated with that, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, cultural challenges, language challenges, a lot of that kind of stuff, just how people understand life. My wife works in a charter school. She's the uh, early childhood director there and they have 28 different languages spoken in their early learning center. Now they're one of the top charter schools in the country or in, well, probably in the country, but also certainly in our state. And so a lot of international families wanna have their kids there, that kind of thing for the educational piece.
but Christy is inundated with the cultural sort of uh, challenges that um, that she has to face kind of day in and day out. And that's again, that's that's not unusual, not unusual in our community. Our town is actually not that big. It's about sixty-two thousand, about eighty thousand, kind of in a general metro area, but really more of a suburb now of Denver. Denver's grown to the point where they've kind of, um, you know, kind of like grabbed us and pulled us into the, pulled us into its orbit in in some some sense. And so. That has its pluses and its minuses, of course, for our folks out here. Parker used to be the place you went to if you owned horses and you wanted acreage. Um, those days were kind of long gone. And so um, so people are moving further out uh, west and south of us and, and those kinds of things. And so it's an interesting, interesting challenge. One of the things, before we go to our breakout rooms, um, you guys might be familiar with the work of the Revelation 7-9 task force. And one of the things that they've challenged churches to think about is really who lives within your one, three, and five mile radius of your church. So if you were to draw sort of concentric circles, one mile, three miles, five miles uh, of your church, um, who lives there? And are you aware of who lives there? And are you aware, like, maybe you're like Bryn and you've got a community that's a mile south of you and has all these, is, is like going into a different world. It's like walking into a different country on some level. Or maybe you're like us where you've got a bunch of international families that have moved in and so it's very cross-cultural, you know, you've got Indian restaurants and grocery stores popping up or something like that, who knows, right? Um, or maybe you're like John, where you're in an area of sort of either stagnation or decline, and you see people actually moving out of the area, or the racial demographics changing, or the economic demographics changing. Do you know who lives in your community? Do you know what their needs, their wants, their desires are? Um, because part of uh, what we're going after here as we start to think about congregational revitalization is each of us have discovered that as we engage our communities in mission and really look external to ourselves, um, that becomes a key part of this whole revitalization journey. You know, so much of revitalization work, if we're not careful, can just be internal. It can be navel gazing. It can just be us focusing on us. But course, Matthew 6.33 gives us this wonderful kingdom principle that really revitalization comes as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all the rest, all the things that we care about, all of that will be added to us. But first, we have to keep our eyes focused on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we care about the things that God cares about. He cares about the things that we care about. And we, and we really trust him um, with, uh, with the results. And so as we go into our first breakout, Here's what I'd love for us to be able to do. I'd love for people just to share about their community demographically. Like what, what community are you planted in? What community is your church planted in? And what particular challenges, unique challenges, does your community face? Um, and, you know, and then, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about how we're trying to meet those challenges. So we won't necessarily address that quite yet. We'll address that in our second breakout session today. But talk about what your demographics are and what the particular challenges are in this first breakout. And Brian, why don't you give us about 25 minutes on that, okay? As we come back in, um, great to have everybody. Hopefully you got a chance to kind of share a little bit um, with each other about uh, what your community, um, the community in which you're planted and what that looks like and maybe the particular challenges. I was sharing in my, you know, in my particular context, while we're fast growing and all these other things, uh, one of the major issues in our context is suicide. Um, and our suicide rate in our, in our community is well above the national average. Um, we have probably just in our town of about 60,000 folks, we will have uh, multiple suicides a year. Um, and we don't, they're not always, um, they're not always folks that we're connected with as a congregation, but certainly the churches are connected with in general and, um, just really, really tough, a lot of mental health needs, uh, in our community. And, um, and so then that, it's those kinds of needs as you identify those needs that begin to generate hopefully some conversation at your leadership level in your churches about how we meet those needs. Because uh, our contention, Bryn, John, myself, Mike, our contention is that uh, God has not put our church, has not made a mistake in putting our churches where they are. Okay. That is God's sovereign plan is that we are, all of our churches are planted exactly in the community that he wants us to be in and that he has given us the gifts uh, and the resources we need to reach the community uh, with the gospel in whatever particular way we need to do that. Now, that can be challenging at some times to think about, you know, in terms of like how big or small your churches are, or, you know, how many resources you have access to, or if they're limited or whatever it may be. But 
but we have to believe, we have to trust that, that again, we're not in our communities by accident. We're there because there's something that we can contribute um, in a significant way. And so uh, again, one of the things that we've been doing here at Pepsi is we've you know, been working through and dialoguing with our county officials um, about uh, the needs in our community. One of the things that we've, we've talked about is, you know, can we start a mental health uh, clinic that's licensed, but also Christian and begin to reach, um, even though our community is largely wealthy, there's these pockets of poor and the suburban poor and those on Medicaid, can we begin to reach and target that group? Because what we've heard from the county is that is the most underserved groups. That's one of the biggest needs. So talking to county officials, talking to political officials in your communities, finding out what the big needs are and then thinking through how can we as a church contribute to meeting those needs. That, that can become a real opportunity um, because again, there becomes the spillover effect. Your folks get really excited about serving. They see an impact, all of those kinds of things. And as a result, um, God, God's spirit does something in their hearts. And there's just something when you're out serving God, there's just something that, that happens in our hearts that brings revitalization. And so, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, specifically, we want to talk about how your congregations share their faith. Okay. So here we're talking about evangelism specifically. So we're, we're all engaged in mission of various kinds, but but part of mission is sharing our faith, verbally uh, talking to people about Jesus. Now, that can be challenging for a lot of us, and that can be challenging maybe for the people on this call even, right? Um, and that's okay if it's challenging, um, and some of us may do it more naturally than others, um, but this is, as we know, really essential to, um, to, to the church. It's, it's, we got to be sharing the faith. We got to be reaching the lost. We, we should see adult baptisms. Like you, you should, one of the markers of a revitalized congregation is that you will see people coming to faith or you will see people coming back to faith. Maybe they left 30, 40 years ago and, you know, and, and, and now they're coming back to faith. Their faith has been renewed. Like you should see some of those things taking place. And one of the ways in which, of course, that happens is by them coming into contact with folks in your congregation, or maybe you or other folks along the way who are able to share with them the good news of the gospel uh, in Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots of different ways to do that, of course. You can go door to door. You can do the four spiritual laws like Campus Crusade. You can do whatever, you know, whatever the methods are. There's plenty of it. I actually teach on this at Denver Seminary. We, I teach a class every year on evangelism and mission, and we look at a million methods. Um, but at the, at the heart of all these methods is how do we communicate the gospel in a way that the people in our community can really hear, receive, and understand? Um, how can we do it in a culturally savvy way, depending on where, again, our communities, are, our churches are planted? Um, how do we reach this specific community with the gospel? Um, part of that is just showing up. It's actually being present in their lives. Part of it is finding ways to connect them um, with the gospel, connect them to Jesus, um, you know, whatever it may be, conversations, over a cup of coffee, over a drink, it doesn't matter, whatever it may be, doing some of those kinds of things. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, kind of like we, what we just did, I'm going to ask Bryn to share a little bit about what does evangelism look like for the Kirk and um, how they've been intentional about this, how are they trying to reach the lost in their community, what does that look like? So Bryn, you want to give us, a, give us the 411 on that, please. Thanks, Doug. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses, but it really is, I think, a function of the different context. Um, my, the ministry that I was a part of in Toronto, it was, it was a lot like what Doug described, uh, an affluent, highly educated, and so personal evangelism was an emphasis in our congregation. Mm. Here in the Bahamas, we have not focused in on personal evangelism as it relates to, you know, here's the gospel, I've got four points and a track that I want to give you and work through. One of the interesting dynamics about where I am here in Nassau is you still learn Christianity in the public schools. It, prayer and Bible instruction is a part of just about every grade in public school. It's, it's a part of the public forum in a very open and welcome way. So there's a sense in which we get a running start with everyone we're trying to reach because they're already favorably predisposed towards Jesus and what the Bible says. What we find in our context 
is that there are a lot of churches that have taught awful theology. And I'm not just being a theological snob. Uh, this would be your prosperity gospel, hmm. health, wealth, and prosperity. So that is the dominant Christian message in the Bahamas, or at least I don't want to speak for Ken Lane, who's on uh, Grand Bahama, but here in Nassau, the prosperity gospel has a hold of the population. And so it's not so much that we're bringing the gospel to a group that's never heard about Jesus before, but we're bringing the whole of scripture to help people in relationship recalibrate their theology. And so with that, our focus or our entry point has been through what some people might call social justice or mercy ministry, but because we're bordering the poorest, highest crime, most neglected area of the country, um, our focus has been really mercy ministry first, but understanding that even though we're leading with that, uh, we've got some work to do in terms of evangelizing, teaching, discipling, it's etc. And and so uh, I don't want to take too much of the time, but but for those of you who may remember from the very first workshop we did, for us it was just helpful to, to get three things that we would pledge ourselves to: organizational simplicity, missional stick-to-itiveness, and relational proximity. And those three things have really guided our evangelism effort. So. We, we knew we could have a hundred targets for outreach and evangelism. We picked two, organizational simplicity. Uh, missional stick to was just the idea that we can't just do this once in a while. We have to do this every week of every month of every year. So we yep. have, uh, we've committed to missional stick to And then thirdly, relational proximity, that because the nature of the, the, the need to recalibrate persons worldviews and theology from a prosperity gospel to what's more reformed. Uh, it, it takes relational proximity. It takes time. And, and, and we, so we do the long sale, I guess you would say. It's not a high pressure, give your life to Jesus. It's let's get in a relationship together. Let's do life together. And, and over time, you know, through our discipleship groups, uh, we're working to untangle people from the prosperity gospel past. Great. Thanks, Bryn. Really appreciate that. Um, and, and again, your unique context. So cool. Um, John, what about you, brother? What's it look like in Monroe, Louisiana? I know when I was in Mobile, Alabama, evangelism was really not easy because everybody, everybody had a church that they went to. Everybody well, had a I, church I, that's, how I, that's exactly how I was going to begin, even though our public schools do not promote Christianity as in the Bahamas. You know, we are in the deep south, and there is still the remnants of mm -hmm. southern uh, Christianity. And there are good things about that, and there's not so good things about that. So, but, you know, probably, you know, I don't know if I know any unchurched people. Right. Um, maybe I do. And now I may, they may not be born again believers, but they're churched. Um, and that, that ranges from everything from Roman Catholic to, you know, non-denominational and everything in between. But that's a setup um, for what I would say what we've done in Covenant. Hmm. Covenant came into the EPC in 2010. I was not the pastor then. They didn't have a pastor when they came in in 2010 but I am the first EPC pastor at Covenant. And so um, what, um, what we did, it, I would call it visibility and, dis and distinctive identity. So, so we made a big deal like through, you know, and look, 11 years ago, newsprint was still a medium, you know? Mm -hmm. People still read newspaper 11 years ago. But we, we didn't so much put ads. I mean, they were kind of ads. We, they were called advertisements. We paid for it. But we wanted to identify ourselves as a historically Christian, you know, biblical Christian converse, uh, congregation. Hmm. 
and, and you know, identifying with the convictions of historic Christianity. So we wanted to, and you know, not hitting anybody in the nose, but just speaking for ourselves, because we were in the EPC and we defined, you know, what the EPC believed. And so, you know, we, we got ourselves out there with the distinctive identity about historic Protestant orthodoxy, if you will. And um, so that was kind of the first thing we did. And then beyond that, evangelism simply became, it was sort of friendship evangelism. Not, people weren't trained in friendship evangelism. Not that, it wasn't a program. It was just true, spontaneous friendship evangelism. Somebody would invite somebody, somebody. And what we were seeing is mm -hmm. that, you know, the mainline churches around us were beginning to fray, ravel, and crumble. And people in there who had some, some idea that wasn't right in the mainline churches, including the remaining Peace USA congregation, you know, they just knew something, it just, this can't be right. right. And so that word of mouth, that began to build. And then, so most of our evangelism has been sort of uh, has been that sort of friendship, word of mouth, people looking for, we happen to be, uh, you know, our worship, I call it historic confessionals, moderately high liturgy, feels like a traditional church. So for people who were have that kind of a background, wanted the Bible, they had a place to come. Mm -hmm. There's no PCA church here you know, to kind of set that in contrast. Um, and then just also by word of mouth, that, that gets back to what Doug said about people coming back to the faith. Yeah. So it wasn't merely transfer growth. I mean, a lot of it was transfer growth. But down here in the Deep South, I, I, don't, I don't downplay that. I don't denigrate right. that. Right. Particularly when people are bailing out of the main line and they're coming and once again... They're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed biblically, the Bible taught as the word of God. And they're thinking, oh my goodness, this is what I've been longing yeah. for, you know, for 40 years. Yeah. So that's kind of our background there. Um, we don't do, you know, we, we don't do anything fancy. Our, we've never had an evangelism training program per se. Um, you know, and our growth has largely plateaued right now. And I mean, we're, we're having, we've had a little bit of growth during, during COVID, but you know, it's not like we're knocking the socks off. Now, one of the things we tried to do in the midst of COVID is, and this is, was very much out of our character. I guarantee you, we had never done this before. We're a traditional Southern Presbyterian church, but we said, Hey, look, we're going live stream. Let's get everybody get a yard sign. We, pr we produced yard signs with the church name on it and web address and the Facebook address and said, visit us, meaning visit us online during COVID. That's how we tried to position ourselves, you know, during COVID. And right now we're trying to position ourselves again as we come out of COVID with a new set of yard signs <laughs> that just says um, a new start, question mark. Covenant Presbyterian Church. Yeah, that's great. Trying to trying to put insert ourselves in this moment when people are going to start, even unchurched people are going to start thinking about, you know, maybe I ought to start going to church again. Mm -hmm. So, that's great, John, I appreciate that, and you know, I think, um, you know, just just uh, if you're if you're sitting there listening to like John and some of the creative ideas he has, or Bryn, or what have you, and you think, gosh, I don't even know where to start. One of the places that I would, I always encourage folks to start, and particularly Presbyterians to start, is to make sure within your worship services, and we'll talk about worship next time, but make sure within your worship services that you are giving people a chance to respond to the gospel that is preached by giving their lives to Christ. That, that, that is, I, I think that's like one of the easiest and simplest things to do. Now that you don't have to do like a, an altar call every week, like our Baptist friends do, but, but I think where appropriate and where the text leads you, you know, giving people a chance to respond to faith is really critical um, and, uh, and, and really important. And uh, again, it's not something that 
that we do that's kind of in our wheelhouse historically per se, but um, it's certainly something to consider uh, for sure. And um, again, we want to give the lost people a chance to to give their lives to Christ, to, to, to experience Christ, and then to commit, commit their lives to him. So just encourage you with that. Let's go to our breakout sessions. We'll go uh, until about 3.30, uh, Brian, if we can. And let's talk about the different ways um, that we are, again, trying to reach our community from an evangelistic perspective. So maybe rate your congregation on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best on how well you think you're doing, sharing your faith with unbelievers. If you give yourself a low rating, what things are you doing to try and raise that rating? Um, what barriers kind of hold you back? If, if, uh, if you give yourself a high rating, what's working? What's, what's going well? And let's, let's encourage each other with that, all right? So let's go to our breakout rooms. All right, as we come back, I was right in the middle of a great story with my great breakout group. So I'll, I'll share just to kind of tie a bow on this evangelism thing. You know, one of the things that strikes me is um, something that Bren said about relational proximity and the importance of it. And in a post-Christian or a, you know, a, a culture that is rapidly moving that direction, depending on where you're at in the United States or what, what, what your community looks like. I know in my area, it's very much post-Christian. Um, you've got to get around non-believers. You've got to put yourself in the path of non-believers if you're going to actually have an opportunity to share your faith. And so when I teach this at Denver Seminary, one of the things I do is I I challenge the students to do what I call an immersion experience. And so every other week they're to go out into a community somewhere where people gather and just spend an hour sitting there and over the course of a semester, become a regular in that space and just look for opportunities to build relationships with people, whether it's the people, you know, baristas or wherever they go. I, coffee shop seems to be a popular thing. For me, we joke about how here at the church, like my first office, if you really want to know where Doug is, the first place to check is not here at the church in my office. The first place to check is at Fika Coffee House down off of Main Street, because that's where I spend most of my time. I do a ton of counseling down there, a ton of meetings down there. And because people know me, I've been doing it now for 12 years, and they know I'm a pastor. I have all kinds of people who will come up in between meetings and say, hey, can I interrupt you for just a second? Can I sit down? I've got these issues. I got to talk to someone. You're a pastor. I hear you. You're in here all the time talking to folks about their issues. Is there any way I can tell? I remember I talked to a, a guy uh, right before he went into prison. His name was Bruce. This was probably um, three years ago. And he had been watching me and I had no idea. And uh, he came up to me in between meetings one day and was like, hey, I'm about ready to go to jail. Is there any way I could sit down and talk to you? And I was like, absolutely. Let's sit down and talk and found out what he was going to go to jail for. And I got him connected with a ministry that was at that particular jail he was going to be at you know, so that he could begin building his, you know, his relationship with Christ while he was inside, you know, before he went to jail, he, he started coming to our church for about six to eight weeks before he finally went up, you know, and, and to serve his time. And it just reminded me that like, again, if I had not positioned myself in that coffee shop day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that opportunity would have been lost to, to, to connect with Bruce and share the gospel with him. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, part of this is thinking outside of the four walls of your church. Get outside, put yourself in the, you know, what does Psalm 1 say? Not to do, right? Put yourself in the path of sinners. Well, I kind of go against Psalm 1, I guess, and put myself intentionally in the path of sinners because I want to share the gospel with them. So encourage you to do that. Um, find ways to do that. Build those relationships outside the four walls of your church and see where the, see where the Lord leads you and, and encourage your folks to do the same. Um, don't just do it yourself. You've got to do it yourself, I think, because you can't lead people to a place you've not gone yourself. So if you don't evangelize, don't expect your congregation to evangelize, but, but definitely challenge folks to, to come with you and to, and to be a part of that. The third thing we want to talk about today in the time we've got remaining is that, you know, we really have this conviction that revitalized congregations seek to bless their community. So not just share the gospel with the community, which of course is the ultimate blessing, but also participate in what I like to call redemptive lift, which is looking for ways to lift up our community in redemptive ways. Again, this goes back to identifying the needs, identifying the wants, the desires that are present in your community, the idols, and, and how do we begin to address them? And so one of the questions that I'm always asking myself, just a self-reflection question is, if my congregation disappeared tonight, just like got wiped off the face of the earth, what would my community miss, if anything? Would they even notice that we were gone? 
or what would they miss the most? Hopefully they, they would notice. What would they miss the most? Like how engaged are we in the community? How are we actively seeking to bless our community? How are we serving the underserved, the, the lost, the least, you know, in our community, the poor, the powerless, whatever it may be, you know? And so again, we've done that by working with our Douglas County uh, Health and Human Services, connecting with them, finding out who's the most underserved populations in our, in our county. And then we've addressed that on some level by creating this, this counseling clinic, which just got, got launched December 1. We're already starting to see Medicaid patients where we just got off, uh, just today, we got our formal certification from Medicaid that we can now see Medicaid patients, which is awesome. Um, it's, it's right in our target group. We're super excited about that to reach the poor in our community, uh, the suburban poor, those on Medicaid, that's our target group. So we're excited about that. Our youth guy, he has built such a significant relationship with our local high school we are the only church that is allowed into our schools. And it's simply because we are, we are simply just going there to serve. And so Dan and this crazy idea that he has every, this is all pre COVID. It'll happen post COVID too, I'm sure. But twice a month on Wednesdays, he goes in and sets up a whole bunch of griddles and makes grilled cheese sandwiches for the student body and literally serves thousands of grilled cheese sandwiches. It's crazy. All right. And yet it, he partners with a local food bank to get the supplies. We have volunteers. So simple, so easy. And of course, we can't proselytize when we're there on campus, but we're there to bless the students. We're there to bless the faculty. They know that. They love that. And then a lot of those students and a lot of those faculty members end up circling back to our church simply because we have met a need. Um, not that these kids don't have lunch. I mean, we live in a very affluent community, but it's just a kind of a cool little deal that I mean is an absolute highlight for the students, for the faculty, um, you know, every other week. It's just been phenomenal. So there's all these ways to do it. And it's about connecting with your community leaders, knowing again, what the needs are, what are they seeing and how do we become good faith partners um, in coming alongside? And I think in our group, um, we had a guy, uh, where, where is he? I don't see him on my screen. Um, okay, I'm not, I'm not seeing him, but He's in Lakeland and he's doing some great work working with the city there, it sounds like, which is just awesome, right? I mean, those are opportunities that we have. So Bryn, why don't, or maybe we'll start with John because you got your mic open there, John. John, share with us a little bit beyond the evangelism conversation and the reaching the unreached in your community. What are some needs there in Monroe that you guys at Covenant is really leaning into as they seek to try and reach uh, the community for Christ? We are partnering, partnering with local Christian agencies um, with primarily through means of financial support. We, um, we're, we're able to do that, but also with some hands-on involvement as well. So there, uh, a local agency is Christian Community Ministries, which does um, you know, clothing, uh, and other kind of staple necessities. We're supporters of that. We have a member of the church who goes down there and organizes the clothing according to size and et cetera. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we're very involved in the, the homeless shelter mm -hmm. and uh, which just about was failing and we've come alongside of it. Um, the other pastor, Jonathan Wagner is serving on the board and we have a team of people who pre-COVID, and this will happen post-COVID, yeah. are down there um, at, uh, at least once a month as part of the meal train, cooking, cooking the food. I mean, getting the food together, cooking the food, serving the food. Mm -hmm. um, so we're connected to the homeless shelter, which is down um, in a, a, a declining, dilapidated downtown. Uh, you know, in a, a sort of abandoned downtown area in our city. Uh, also involved in Family Promise, which some of you all may know yeah. about, which yeah. is a yeah. homeless a, a agency for homeless families. Mm -hmm. So we're involved with that. Um, we're also uh, very supportive and involved with the pro-life industry here, um, as well as a uh, abused women's agency and um, uh, a Christian uh, drug addiction recovery type program. So 
we 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 sort of got our hands in a lot of local mission. Um, frankly, I'm I'm I'm. I'm, I'm thankful for the, the level of financial support. Our people are all in, in terms of that. Uh, the demographic of our church, you know, not quite as hands-on involved, uh, you know, as we could be, or maybe, maybe I should say as we will be, you know. Um, but a lot of that has to do with the age demographics of our congregation right now. But yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's yeah. where we're, we're, we're trying to plug in Mm -hmm. uh, at, at the various need levels in our community. That's great, John. And that family promise program, if you're not familiar with that is really amazing. We helped, um, get that started in Mobile when I was down there at the little church I was at and all these older folks that I was serving, they just got, yeah, it was, it was super exciting. Um, yeah. you know, uh, it probably helped honestly that, you know, they were a little nervous to get it started at first, but the very first family that walked through our doors, I kid you not, their names were Joseph and Mary. <laughs> so it kind of made it a little easier sell <laughs> right. you know there's times when god shows up like that it's just like sometimes i i when that happened i just remember thinking to myself okay god you're just showing off at this point you know um it, it was it was pretty cool uh and they're african-american so there was also all these really cool impacts that came out of that it was really sweet Bryn, what about you uh, can you give us just a couple minutes on what you guys are doing there in the bahamas Sure. And, and I'm not going to, to give the, it's a pretty long list of ways we engage our community and serve our community. Um, so, so rather than overwhelm you with a fire hose list, uh, let me just say that the relational proximity is a key part in terms of the effectiveness of our service. Let me give you an example. So a lot of churches have a food pantry or food bank ministry we estimate that 75% of the people who access our food bank are regular worshipers at our church. Wow. And, and that's a function of the relational proximity. We're not mm -hmm. just handing out grocery bags and tutoring young people or giving them a tablet for online learning. We're tethering this to relational uh, mm -hmm. aspects. And, and, and so we've got this multi-layered uh, way of touching them, either through tutoring those who find it hard to read, uh, discipling those who want to become stronger Christians. And by the way, I'm, the underserved in our community uh, would be probably the, the, the persons of Haitian heritage, young people uh, of Haitian heritage. And so that, that's been not our target person or group by design, but by opportunity. This is the group that's presented itself to us, has been most responsive. Uh, so, you know, we, we play sports with them, we tutor them, uh, we take them out for lunch, uh, we, we disciple them, uh, we have Christmas events for them, we have back to school events for them where we, we give them supplies for school. Uh, we also have a Christian camp on a different island called Camp Bahamas, and it's a remarkable Christian experience. And so every year we give 10 to 12 scholarships. But again, relational proximity, we send the kids on the same week and they go with a pastoral intern from our church. So they go as a group, they go with our leaders. And so it's just not here's some money, go to camp, hope it goes well. Um, let us know if you get baptized. We actually go with them, and there's a nurturing uh, in that process. Uh, we even give uh, a scholarship for a vocational school in the Bahamas. Uh, the president of the school attends our church, and he helped us set up a scholarship system. And so the young people learn very early on that all we want from them is to be present with us, to do life with us, to do church with us. And so I can't stress the relational proximity yep. enough because yep. that's been the key to bringing fruit out of the efforts uh, because we just didn't want to be writing checks and handing out things. Well, and I would say that, you know, in, in addition to that, Bryn, and then we'll go to our breakout rooms for the last maybe 10 minutes and come back for some closing thoughts. But um, I would say if you want mission to be an engine for revitalization in your congregation, relational proximity has to be the deal. Anybody can give a check. Anybody can give money. And that's important. Like, I'm not downplaying that. But actually getting hands-on, actually getting face-to-face, 
Um, you know, one of the one of the major miracles in my ministry was down in Mobile. We crossed the color barrier for the first time in that church's life, and that was massive. And it happened only because uh, we went eyeball to eyeball, and the relationships were built. That's how that's how sort of latent racism was overcome. Um, women, you know, older women in my congregation who were widows who had grown up segregation. That's all they knew. Really struggled with this young African-American man who joined our church, but as they build a relationship with him, you could see these barriers come down, these dividing walls of hostility come down between them because of the gospel. And that only happens through relationships. So I just want to I just play off of that, Brent. I think that can't be overstated enough. Again, if you're looking for opportunities for renewal, relation relationships are at the heart of that. So let's go to our breakout rooms for about 10 more minutes. And then we'll share a little bit about Again, what are the needs in your community? Do you know the needs? Do you have relationships? Are you building relationships with local community leaders so you can identify those needs? What things are you finding that are working? What things have you tried that just have bombed? I've had many of those as well in my time. So um, yeah, let's go ahead and share that for about 10 minutes, Brian. All right, as everybody kind of comes back in in the last kind of couple of minutes, we've got closing uh, here. Like I said, next time we will talk about worship as an engine for revitalization, which I think we all would agree that that's absolutely the heart of this as well. So we'll have some opportunities to talk about that. But just again, one, one last plug for this, this, this mission and evangelistic effort. Again, so much of it, don't, don't think of it in terms of program. Think of it in terms of how do you intentionally create opportunities for non-believers to ask questions, to, 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 to be curious about what it is you're doing. So one of the things that, what, like one of the easy things I tell my folks to get them engaged in this is I tell them, take your Bible to work and read it on breaks. Just read it in the break room. Like just, I'm not asking you to like have a conversation even. I'm just asking you to read your Bible in the break room. And it's amazing, of course, what happens when they start doing that regularly, right? Again, it's just a matter of creating an easy connection around non-believers, just like I do when I'm at the coffee shop or whatever it might be, right? Those are the easy things. So I just want to encourage you with that. Think in terms of how you can get your folks out beyond themselves, out into the mission field that is your community, that one, three, five mile radius, reaching whoever is present in those places and, uh, and then just seeing where the Lord leads you. And I know and trust that, um, that God will do great things. And so friends, uh, thanks again for being a part of this. Uh, again, we'll see you next month, same time, same, same day, kind of fourth Wednesday of the month, two to four. And again, our topic next time will be worship. Looking forward to it with you guys. Take care, okay? And have a great day. God bless.